Welcome to the Tuesday Night Bible Study. Open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 15. This is the resurrection chapter more than any other chapter. This chapter deals with the resurrection, um, both of believers mostly and a little bit of unbelievers also will be resurrected. So where we are is we left off around verse 43, 44, right in there. The discussion um, is about the resurrection of the dead. He starts with the argument that Christ was resurrected, and it's an essential doctrine of Christianity. But we have to understand that there's a connection between us as believers in him. His resurrection becomes ours. He becomes a picture of what we will be like. Uh, elsewhere in the New Testament, it says we will be like him and we'll see him as he is. So uh, in verse 35, he says, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body will they come? Th th these are questions that the Corinthian church was asking that he's answering. They're wondering about the resurrection. As we said, the Greeks as a culture considered the body to be a prison, and the sooner you could be rid of that body and your spirit could float out else, elsewhere, the better. So the idea of a physical resurrection of bodies was very foreign to that culture, and they weren't sure they believed it. They ask in verse 35, what kind of body, with what kind of body will they come? So he goes on with analogies about seeds um, and heavenly bodies versus earthly bodies, that there's a relationship but there's a difference is the point. And for example, if you plant a seed of corn, a seed of corn is not what comes up. A corn stalk comes up and makes many ears of corn, seeds and what have you. But there's a relationship between that seed of corn. If you plant it, you're gonna get corn every time, you're never gonna get peaches or avocados or whatever. So, um, uh, the sun has one kind of splendor, the moon another, and the stars another, verse 41. They're, they differ in glory or splendor. So it'll be, verse 42, from, with the resurrection of the dead, the body that is sown perishable, it's raised imperishable or corruptible and incorruptible, some translations have. In other words, perishable, able to perish, able to decay, to get sick, to die. None of that will be true for your resurrection body and mine. This is a glorious truth, especially if you're advanced in age like me, because you're just not as young as you used to be with aches and pains and you don't see as well. And somehow the TV's not, loud, not as loud as it used to be. And you have to turn it up. In any case, verse uh, 43, it's sown in dishonor. We're still reviewing. Sown in dishonor because it decays. If you Dead bodies eventually decay and smell very quickly. It's raised in glory. It's sown in weakness. It's raised in power. In every case, the resurrection body is, he's showing you, vastly superior. Can't even compare it. It's sown a natural body, verse 44, meaning physical, raised a spiritual body. If there's a natural body, there's also a spiritual body. Now that term, spiritual body, at first, if you think about it, it sounds like a contradiction in terms. Natural or material is physical stuff, right? This is physical. The podium's physical. But spirit is not physical. When Jesus rises from the dead in Luke 24, his disciples are freaked out and scared, and they think they're seeing a ghost. And he says, handle me and see. You can touch me. 
A spirit does not, or a ghost, doesn't have flesh and bones as you see I have. This is a combination of the two, a spirit or spiritual body, meaning it's designed for this, the realm in which we're going to live. This, these bodies are designed, designed for this realm. Did God design our bodies the way we have them now? No. We weren't designed, we weren't supposed to be able to get sick and die and get injured. And, but after the fall, the result of sin, we'll see that in a second, is death and decay and all of that. So I know that you're awake. Say amen. amen. Wow, good one. And those of you on Zoom, so I know you're awake, say amen or wave or do something. Or hold, I'm seeing a sign or two, a couple of them. All right, great. In any case, um, I'm going to read um, little bits at a time here, not one verse. Um, so it's sown a natural body, verse 44. It's raised a spiritual body. If there's a natural body, there's also a spiritual body. Okay, verse 45. So it is written, the first man, Adam, became a life-giving, a, a living, sorry, being. The last Adam, that's Jesus, a life-giving spirit. The spiritual did not come first, but the natural. And after that, the spiritual, we'll talk about that. Verse 47, the first man was of the dust of the earth, that's Adam. The second man is of heaven, that's Christ. Verse 48, as was the earthly man, Adam, so are those who are of the earth, that's you and me. And as is the heavenly man, Jesus, so also are those who are of heaven, that's you and I as believers when we're resurrected. Verse 49, and just as we have borne the image or shown the image of the earthly man, Adam, so we will or shall bear the image of the heavenly man. Wanted to read that little section. Now let's talk about it. Um, let's see. So back to verse 44, a natural body raised a spiritual body. These bodies are able to eat, right? able to die, able to bleed. All the things that we're able to do are perfect for this world in which we live. In the coming world, it will be different. We're going to be like Christ, and there won't be any death. The one thing um, we're going to see is that the personality of Jesus remained the same. He doesn't not know Thomas and Peter and John. He knows all of them, and they speak with him, and they know him. For us, the way we live now, we, although we're saved, forgiven of our sins, we still have a sin nature. That part of your personality and mine will be gone forever when we are either resurrected or changed in an instant. There's two possibilities. When Christ returns, we're either already have died, will be raised from the dead, physically glorified bodies, but it'll still be you and it'll still be me without that sin nature, that desire to sin. That will have been done away with. That's the only part of your personality that won't remain the same. Thank God. Amen? Amen? Okay, just kidding. <laughs> okay, verse 45. So it is written, the first Adam became a living being. Okay, by the, word, by the way, Adam means in Hebrew, anybody know? Man, that's all it means. What did, they, what did they name Adam? Man. 
the first man or the first Adam became a living being. Remember, God breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. Um, the last Adam, that's Jesus. Romans talks about this as well and calls Jesus the last Adam. Why only those two? Why not? Why aren't we talking about Abraham or Moses or David or any of the other heroes of the faith? Peter, because these are the two representatives of the two parts of humanity. All humans come from Adam and Eve, I understand. They sinned, and because of that, that's why there's disease and sickness and death, and that's why you lock your doors and all of the above. We are like Adam, the federal head of the human race. The second Adam is Christ. Both Adams, we said two weeks ago, faced a major test from God in a garden regarding a tree and obedience. Adam, it's don't eat of that tree. The day you eat of it, you'll surely die. Remember that? You can eat all the other trees, avocados, whatever you want. You can't eat that one tree. Adam in the Garden of Eden fails the test in a garden regarding obedience and a tree. Jesus Christ, centuries later, faces a similar test in the Garden of Gethsemane regarding a tree, meaning the cross where he even gets so close and says, if there's any other way, God, let this cup pass from me. Remember? And then he says those magic words. Awesome. I don't mean magic in that sense. He says, but not my will, your will be done. He, Jesus, the second Adam, representative of mankind, passes the test in a garden regarding a tree and obedience where Adam got an F, Jesus gets an A+. Um, let's see, the last Adam, he becomes a life-giving spirit. What that means is that he didn't just pass it for himself, neener, neener, I, I made it through, see you later, I get an A. By passing that test, he becomes a representative for all who believe in him and gives life, spiritual life to each of us. You say, I'm already alive, I was alive before I was a believer, not spiritually. Ephesians 2, 1 says, you and I were in our sinful state before coming to Jesus, not sick spiritually, dead spiritually. Hard to believe. You felt so spiritual and we were dead spiritually. So Jesus is the life-giving spirit. Uh, let's see. He goes on from there. Verse 46. The spiritual didn't come first, but the natural. And after that, the spiritual. Sounds like an odd thing to mention. But the Mormons, for example, um, and a lot of the old time, you know, pre-Jesus birth, believed that the spiritual came first. The Mormons believe, you ever notice Mormons have a lot of kids? You ever notice that? Big families. Mormons believe that in heaven, there are spirit babies waiting to be born. They're already alive spiritually in heaven. That's why we better have a lot of kids, honey. Uh, and the wife is rolling her eyes. But anyway, they have a lot of kids so that the spirit babies can have bodies to come into. This verse clearly contradicts that. What comes first? This, were you a spirit in heaven before you came to earth? No. The natural comes first. Both in creation, Adam, first, natural, Jesus, spirit the spirit life-giving being. 
So the spiritual doesn't come first. The Mormons are wrong. Uh, Plato, all those, Aristotle, they all believe the spiritual came first, then the natural. It's the other way around. If you've ever had a computer and or a phone and there's a, an update or an upgrade you can get, and you do the upgrade and it's, wow, it works faster and it's better. You and I are due for an, an unbelievable software update. Some of you need it really badly like I do. Okay. Um, okay. Uh, the first man, verse 47, was of the dust of the earth. Remember, that's how God created Adam. Do you remember that? Out of the dust of the earth. So that's, his point is, that's natural. That's not spiritual. He was created out of the dust of the earth, verse 47. The second man is of heaven. Jesus says, you, in the Gospel of John, you are from the earth. You are earthy. I am from heaven. I have come down from heaven. Different origin, if you will. Jesus had life in himself forever in the past. Adam, there was a point at which Adam didn't exist, and God created him out of the dust of the earth. It's interesting that the only thing in the Garden of Eden, in all the creation accounts of Genesis 1 and 2, that's handmade are the people, right? Everything else, he speaks the planets into existence and the fish and the ocean and the waters and the sun and the trees and the grass and the handmade out of the dust of the earth. Some see the dust of the earth, by the way, as symbolic of the atoms and the molecules. I don't know if we need to go that far. Um, ashes to ashes, dust to dust. There's that circle of life where at the end we decay. Christianity is the only religion that deals with the body this way. Uh, the body is very important in Judaism and even more important in Christianity. So first man's of the dust, verse 47, of the earth, second man's of heaven. Again, it's a huge upgrade, right? Here it comes, verse 48. As was the earthly man, that's Adam, so are those who are of the earth. So that's all humanity. We're born as humans. We're just like Adam. We're capable of being tempted, capable of sinning, and we do, capable of dying, right? And we do all because of Adam. Um, and the second part of verse 48, and as is the heavenly man, Christ, so are all those who are of heaven. Did you know that you had a change of citizenship? You were of the earth as an unbeliever. You are now of heaven. Well, I'm still a citizen here. Okay, you have dual citizenship, but your heart is where? Here and all this stuff? No in heaven. You're all, and, and, and me too, citizens of, we are now of heaven. Um, let's see, I'm looking at notes here. Each, in each case, we have the attributes of our federal head. We were like Adam. Now we are like Christ. But until the resurrection or until we die, there is a constant battle in Christianity. Have you noticed this? The old self keeps having a tug of war with the new you and the Holy Spirit that lives inside of you in terms of temptation. The old, the old adage about the two voices that go ahead and do it. No one will know. No, you don't do it. It's not right. God wouldn't want you to do that, right? The whole conscience thing. We battle that, don't we, every day 
In the power of the Holy Spirit, we have the power to resist every single sin to the extent that we submit, to the extent we la 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 ignore the Holy Spirit, we might go off the deep end and sin. Thanks be to God that he forgives us and brings us back though. So um, I'm still looking at notes. Yeah, we talked about that. What was Jesus's body like? Well, let's, let's look at verse 49 and then we'll talk about it. And verse 49, just as we have borne the image of the earthly man, Adam, we were just like him. So we shall bear the image of the heavenly man, that's Christ's. So that's why we want to pause here and say, what was Jesus's resurrection body like? Okay, there's enough resurrection accounts that we can kind of put it together. In Luke 24, I quoted it earlier, the apostles are afraid because here he is and, and the doors were locked. How did he get in? And they think they're seeing a ghost or a spirit, remember? And he says, fear not, handle me and see. A spirit does not have flesh and, this is interesting, bone as you see I have. In the humankind, mankind, tends to call humanity, at least in the West, flesh and blood. He's a human being. He's flesh and blood. Why does Jesus say flesh and blood? bone. Isn't that interesting? Um, Eve is bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. Remember when Adam is delighted that God made a, a, a wife for him? Jesus has bled out on the cross. In the Old Testament, there's an interesting verse, uh, one of the first five books, I can't remember where, where it says that the life of the body is in the, wait for it, blood. Believe it or not, it was more than a thousand years later, almost 2,000 years later, before science caught up to the Bible and realized, guess what? The life of the human body is in the blood, right? No blood, no life. Jesus has bled out on the cross, but he's resurrected now. He doesn't need that kind of life anymore, blood, right? He says, handle me and see, a spirit doesn't have flesh and bone. That's what I have now. Blood is no longer the source of our life. It's spiritual life, a different dimension of life. Okay, so what else about Jesus's body? He came through locked doors, walls. He could appear and disappear at will. Uh, Acts chapter 1, he ascends at will. Remember from the Mount of Olives. Um, he appears to the, the uh, two disciples on the road to Emmaus. Do you remember that? and speaks with them, and he was able, and maybe we could do this as well. So far, what I've told you, I believe we will be able to do. He was able to make it so they couldn't recognize him. The two disciples who know him very well don't recognize him, and it says in, in that portion of scripture in Luke that their eyes were prevented from recognizing him. Um, and then he allows himself to be recognized. And as soon as they know it's him, when he breaks the bread, by the way, it's thought that they could see the wounds in his hands. For a Jew, the hands go all the way to the wrist, by the way. When he broke the bread, they could see, and they went, it's him. They hadn't seen that before. And Luke says he vanished from their sight. Are we going to be able to do that? We'll be like him, so I know it sounds a little Star Trek-y, beam me up, Scotty, but it sounds to me like we'll be able to 
do that as well. Uh, his body, unable to ever die again or be sick or injured, um, that's your future as well. But as I said, no loss of personality except for the sin nature, which Jesus Christ did not have. Um, let's see. Some people have asked, and it's in my notes now. I'm not even sure why, but I'll throw it in. Some people have asked, what about cremation? And the truth is, it's not spoken of in the Bible. The Bible talks about burying human bodies. It honors the body more. It used to be for centuries, millennia, that it was agnostics and atheists that burned the body, um, uh, cremation, almost as a dare or test for God. Let's see if you can resurrect this kind of thing. Nowadays, it's done more because of cost. Funerals are expensive, burial plots are expensive, caskets, all of that stuff, right? Cost and convenience, it's done now. The question is, can a Christian be cremated? And that's up to you to decide. I don't see why not, because the question of, well, could God resurrect if all we've got is a little urn of the ashes of Uncle Harry? The abs absolute answer is, of course he can. If he could make Adam out of the dust, what about people that died at sea? We talked about this before. People that were burned in a fire, blown up in an explosion, eaten by a shark. I don't mean to scare you now. You can still go in the ocean. But what about those people? When there's a resurrection later on in the Bible, it says the sea gave up the dead that were in them. You say floating bodies? No, no. I mean, people that died in the sea a thousand years ago, you think, well, there's nothing left. God knows where every molecule is. Can he reassemble them all, all at once? For God, God's going, are you kidding? No sweat for me, right? So uh, it doesn't violate any biblical command. God will raise us up regardless. Okay, now, um, so we're going to be like Jesus. We'll bear the image of the heavenly man, a major upgrade. Different section now. Um, he's going to talk about the rapture of the church. A couple of quick definitions before we go any further. Um, okay, second coming. How many have heard of the second coming of Jesus Christ? Well, when was the first coming? About 2,000 years ago, right? Born, depending on which scholar you talk to, 4 BC, believe it or not, not year one or year zero. They got the years wrong when they calculated it. It's either seven or four. I've heard other numbers, but 7 BC, 4 BC, right around in there, okay, uh, is when he's born, first coming. He doesn't present himself until he's 30, at least 30 years old. So it's somewhere around 27 AD, something like that, that he starts his ministry. But he grows up as a normal boy, except for the fact he never sinned. I think that probably drove his sisters and brothers crazy, right? The goody two-shoes, Jesus didn't sin, mom. We're all in trouble and not Jesus, right? Perfect child, I, I would think, and brilliantly smart. Okay, first coming. Second coming, Jesus predicts over and over, as do the Old Testament scriptures, that the Christ, the Messiah, will come again, not invisibly like the Jehovah's Witness say happened in 1914, but visibly. I'm going to show you that's one of the key words we're going to look at, okay? Second coming means Jesus will return to the earth 
bodily, physically. You mean in the old body? No, the resurrected body. But remember, the resurrected body still had the scars, hands, feet. He tells Thomas, go ahead, put your hand in my side. Remember that? I believe those will be the only man-made things we see in heaven. Second coming. Okay, tribulation, because this always comes up when you talk about it. The great tribulation, that term comes from Jesus in Matthew 24 and elsewhere. Old Testament, it's also called a seven-year period, Jacob's time, time of trouble. Um, it will be the worst period in human history. This isn't my opinion. This is Jesus talking. Why will it be so bad? Because two things are happening at the same time when we studied Daniel and when we studied Revelation, especially we went into this. What two things are happening that are so bad? It's pretty bad now. Oh no, this is nothing compared to how bad it'll be. On the one hand, a man called the Antichrist will take control of the whole world. What no man has ever done, he will rule the whole world. He will be indwelt by Satan and will appear to be such a great guy to solve problems, brilliantly smart, charismatic, probably good looking, I hate him even more, and he'll be very evil. Chapter 13 of Revelation, don't turn there now, but that's all about Antichrist. So is uh, 1 Thessalonians, uh, 2 Thessalonians, sorry, we'll get there. Um, so that's bad because he's persecuting unbelievers. I'm sorry, he's persecuting believers and Jews. Hates both. What else is so bad? God is pouring out his wrath on unbelievers as a last wake-up call before the end comes. Both things are happening during the tribulation. The Antichrist doesn't really become the bad guy until halfway through, three and a half years in. Okay, other terms real quickly. Um, rapture. Rapture, the word rapture does not appear in the Bible, but the concept is there. Harpazo does. It's a snatching away suddenly of believers, okay? Rapturo, raptura, sorry, is the Latin word from where we get rapture. It's also where we get the word rapid. It's a very quick, it's not a gradual thing. It's a sudden grabbing, Christ grabbing all his people. We're going to look at verses so you don't have to worry about my stilted attempt at explaining this, Christ will suddenly show up and grab all of the believers. Two categories of believers. Presbyterian, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Baptist, no, no. Charismatic, no, no. Two categories, the ones that have already died, the vast majority of the believers, okay? Whether they died yesterday or a 5,000, 2,000 years ago, whatever, and the ones that happen to be alive at the moment when this happens. With me so far? The ones that are dead, I'm going to show you, come out of the graves first. But it's this fast, twinkling of an eye. I'll show you those verses. But we're introducing this passage and others. Um, then the ones that are alive They'll be resurrected? No, they're not dead. You can't get resurrected unless you're dead. We're alive at the time. Let's say it happens right now. Instantly, in an instant, I'll show you in this passage, our bodies will be changed. Resurrected, glorified bodies, even though we never died, like we mentioned earlier. That's the two categories. That's what rapture is about. Caught up. Okay, uh, we're going to skip that for now. So, 
every Christian believes one of the essentials of the historic Christian faith. There are essential doctrines you have to believe. Speaking in tongues is not one of them. How to baptize, is it, do you pour the water or sprinkle the water or do you dunk the person? Not an essential, but some things are. The Bible is God's word. Jesus was the son of God, fully God and fully man. He died for our sins on the cross. That's why he died, rose from the dead, ascended to heaven. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I'm quoting uh, the Apostles' Creed right now. There's other essential doctrines. We're saved by grace, just by God's love, by faith, not by what we do. Well, then I don't have to do anything. No, when you believe, works always accompany true faith. But the works don't save you. They're just the evidence that you do have the faith. What's your point, Joe? Another doctrine that's an essential doctrine is the second coming of the Lord Jesus. He will come again to planet Earth, not invisibly, visibly. The question is, back to the seven-year tribulation, there are four main views about when does the rapture occur. Pre-tribulation rapture. Imagine a seven-year period. I'll do it for you people here where it starts here and goes there seven years, right? Very bad. Then everybody agrees at the end of the seven years, the second coming happens. You with me? Pre-tribulation rapture says Jesus raptures his church out right before the tribulation starts. So we never see Antichrist. We never go through all that hell on earth and very scary times. And he takes us out first. Mid-tribulation rapture, he takes us out halfway through that seven-year period. Pre-wrath rapture, very small minority believe this, just before the very worst of the wrath of God is coming down, he takes us out, the wrath happens, and then the second coming. Post-tribulation rapture, the church in this belief goes through all seven years. If you're alive and the tribulation's starting and Antichrist, you can see there's a world leader and people think he's great and you're thinking, I think the guy's evil. My spirit, I can feel it. He's Antichrist. He's making people take a mark on their hand or forehead. Hmm. Post-tribulation rapture believes the church, if you're alive then, you will go through the tribulation. And the second coming at the end of the tribulation is the rapture. Got it? There's going to be a test. Are you listening? Okay, just kidding. With that in mind, let's read some scriptures, and then we'll discuss. Verse 50, I declare to you, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable, or the mortal inherit the immortal. In other words, he's saying... Um, flesh and blood can't inherit the kingdom of God. The way our bodies are now, we can't just look, can I just go into heaven this way? You're not built for that. Just says, if you said, could I go to the moon and walk around? I would say no, because there's no oxygen. You would last a minute or two, collapse and die. You're not built for that. Can I walk in the bottom of the ocean and walk around? No, not without oxygen tanks. You're not built for that, right? You're built for above the water, but below the heavens. So what that verse is saying is the way we are now, we can't inherit the kingdom of God in its fullest sense. In a sense, we're in the kingdom of God right now. He's reigning in your lives and mine, right? 
or he ought to be if he's not. But the real kingdom, when it comes, we need an upgrade, a pretty major one. And it's not oxygen um, tanks or anything like that. It's uh, a new spiritual body. So the perishable doesn't inherit the imperishable. We have to be upgraded, if you will. Here it comes, verse 51. Are you still awake? Say amen. amen. Perfect. On Zoom, you're awake? Okay. 51. Uh, let me read this whole section, and then we'll talk about it. Verse 51, listen, I tell you a mystery. Some translations have behold. means something really important here. Listen up. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality. Verse 54, when the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immorality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Can I get an amen on that one? Verse 55, where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? He's quoting the Old Testament. The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's talk about that passage. I wanted to read the whole thing before we dive in. Okay, verse 51. Whether you are pre-trib, post-trib, mid-trib, pre-wrath on the timing of the rapture, pretty much everybody agrees what he's talking about here is the rapture. The sudden resurrection of bodies all around the earth. I said to you last week, when it happens, if I'm alive, I hope I'm at a cemetery. I'd like to see. Wow! Can you imagine? Um, in any case, listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. If you've ever worked in a nursery, this is a great little sign for the wall. The babies will not all sleep, but they will all be Changed, meaning diapers. Just kidding. What do you mean we will not all sleep? Sleep, we've said before, you'll see it in First, Corinthians, First Thessalonians, is a symbolic way the Bible talks about death. I love that. Because atheists see death as final, period. Right? For Christians, it's sleep. What, what is there about sleep? It's temporary number one. Number two, you go to bed at 1030 or whenever you go to bed and you wake up many hours later and it feels like no time has passed, right? Unless you're up all night or whatever, but you know what I mean. We will not all sleep, all, he's talking about believers, but we will all be changed, upgraded from perishable, mortal, able to sin, corruptible bodies, natural earthly bodies, to the spiritual body we've been talking about. Unable to sin, able to live forever. By the way, Jesus ate when he appeared after the resurrection. Most scholars I've read believe if you want to eat in heaven, you can, but you don't have to. Like you could go nine years without eating and 
Think of that diet, right? And you'd be just fine. Uh, you don't need that sustenance to keep your body going. You have eternal life already. I tell you a mystery, mysterion, mysterion in Greek. What that is, is it's not like an Agus the Christie thing. Well, oh, it's a mystery. I wish we could figure it out. In the Bible, mysterion is something that could only be known if it was revealed by God. Something heretofore, uh, to this point, hidden, now revealed. He says, this wasn't really shown very clearly in the Old Testament. I'm going to reveal it now to you. I tell you a mystery. We won't all sleep. We'll all be changed. Okay, now he's going to get into details. Verse 52. In a flash, in the twinkling of an eye. Okay, let's stop right there. What's going on there? It's not gradual. It's not a five-week period. It's like lightning. Boom. It just happens, right? All of a sudden, there are signs that precede it. The Bible predicts to be looking for the signs. Watch, we'll look at Matthew 24. But when it happens, it's shocking and sudden and immediate. In a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, less than a second, if you will. Now we have a time marker. You see the next phrase? At the last trumpet. See that? So the question is, what, what is that? Trumpets were used in the Old Testament for the Israelites to call people to come to a meeting, to call the military troops to war, to call the military, military troops to retreat from war. There were all different trumpet um, calls. There are, in the book of Revelation, seven seals, and there are seven trumpets, and there are seven bowls. So for the first time, we have a time marker for this rapture thing. The question is, is this a separate event from the second coming or part of the second coming? If you're pre-tribulation rapture, mid-trib, pre-wrath, you believe this is a separate coming of the, of the Lord Jesus. You got the picture? Because in a sense, first coming, Bethlehem 2,000 years ago, second coming, the rapture, third coming, the second coming. Wait, doesn't make a lot of sense. Okay, you already know where I'm going with this, don't you? At the last trumpet. So it, later on, we're going to look at, well, when is the last trumpet? That should help us figure it out. But for now, we're going to leave it at that. Um, let's see. More details still in verse 52. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. Imperishable means immortal, unable to perish, to die, to get sick, to decay. Whole new realm of uh, existence. So, do I want to do the key words now? No, not yet. Um, no, actually, I think I will. Um, I want to give you an acronym. An acronym is like IBM, International Business Machines, right? Acronym. A lot of people make end times charts, right, of this happens and then this and then the, I sort of did one for you here, didn't I? Where time's going along, seven-year tribulation. Charts, that's the acronym. Why charts? 
because charts is C-H-A-R-T-S. Each letter stands for a word that keeps showing up whenever we talk about the rapture. Okay? Watch for them. Some of them are here. Not all of them are here. Um, Matthew 24 and, and 1 Thessalonians 4, they're all over the place. Here come the words. Just keep these in the back of your mind. If you're taking notes, write them down. C is for clouds. H, I better look these up myself. H is for himself, meaning it's really Jesus visible coming. With me? C for what? Clouds. H for himself, visible coming. Um, I better look at my notes. A is for angel. Okay, watch how the angels keep showing up. R is for resurrection. When these passages happen, there's dead people coming out of graves. It's a resurrection. Clouds, himself, angels, resurrection. T for, we just saw it, trumpet. S for shout. Okay, um, take a detour with me right now. Go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. You say, where's that? It's to the right where all those books start with T, about five or six books over. If you get to 1 Timothy, you went too far. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. We won't be here real long. 1 Thessalonians 4 verse 13. 1 Thessalonians 4 13. Brothers, talking to Christians, we don't want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep. In other words, some of our Christian friends have died. Did they miss the rapture? That's the theory in Thessalonica. We don't want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep or to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. We believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. You say, what is that? Okay, we're on the earth. Let's say this is the moment. God will bring with Jesus every believer that's ever died from heaven coming down. What's up there? Their spirit and their soul. What's not up there? Their body. How do you know that? There hasn't been a resurrection yet, right? We've been saying that the human being is a three. Body, soul, spirit. Two of those are immaterial. You can't see my spirit. You can't see my soul. You can see my body right? When there's a death, there's a separation between the immaterial part of a human being, the software, if you're a computer nerd like me, and the hardware, which is the body. The body goes into the grave, soul and spirit, absent from the body, present with the Lord. Instantly, if I die, my body might be here trying to resuscitate me. I'm already going up in spirit and soul. With me so far? All those people that have ever died that believe in Jesus are with him in spirit and soul in heaven. Scholars disagree as to whether, well, do they have a spirit body up there, kind of? We're not told, okay? But we know they're conscious because in Revelation 6, people that during the tribulation that were believers are killed, and they're under the altar, and they're speaking, saying, how long, Lord, until you avenge our deaths? And they're told to wait a little while. They're with him. But God's interested in a reunion for you between your soul and your spirit, and the body that's in the grave. With me? Okay. Um, so 1 Thessalonians 4, 
I don't want you to be ignorant about those who have no hope. We believe that Jesus died, verse 14. We believe God will bring with Jesus those that have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's own word, that's Jesus' own word, we tell you that we who are still alive, imagine if you're alive at that moment, not one of the people that have died, who are left till the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede or go before those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord, verse 16, the Lord himself, see the key word? Himself, H in charts, visible coming, not invisible like the Jehovah's Witnesses think. The Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, shout. That's the S at the end of charts. Watch for the key words. With the voice of the archangel, A for angel. Do you see it? God has put these in there, I believe, so we can tie scriptures together and go, oh, wait, it's the same. Trumpet, angel, cloud, watch. Um, with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet, look at that, trumpet call of God. We know from 1 Corinthians, which trumpet is it, class? The last trumpet, very good. And the dead in Christ will rise first. That's the R in charts, resurrection. Do you see it? That's what's going to happen. So he's telling you he's going to come down visibly uh, from heaven with a loud shout, voice of the archangel, trumpet call, resurrection. After that, what about the living believers, Paul, verse 17? After that, we who are still alive and left will be caught up. That's harpazo, snatched away, raptured with them in the what? Clouds, there's the other key word, in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, be bummed out because you have no hope. Is that what verse 18 says? No, this is fantastic news. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Right now, it's time for our two-minute break. So make sure you say hello to someone you don't know. You got two minutes. And those of you on Zoom, I'll be right back. Don't go away. Whoops. Welcome back to the Tuesday Night Bible Study. Find your seats, those of you that are here. And we're continuing with our acronym CHARTS. So you just saw it um, in 1 Thessalonians 4. Now I want you to go to Matthew chapter 24. Matthew 24. Gospel of Matthew, verse 24. Are you with me? Okay. Matthew 24 is the expert, he should know, Jesus talking about the end times. Got the picture? Matthew 24. So they're looking at the buildings of the temple. And Jesus in verse 2 says, you see all these things? I tell you the truth, not one stone here will be left on another. Every single stone of this temple is going to be thrown down. So the disciples are freaked out about that. So they ask him, verse 3, tell us when will, notice three questions, when will this happen? That's the destruction of the temple, which is 70 AD. The Romans take it down. And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? It's really three questions. Do you see it? When will the temple be destroyed? Which he's going to weave the answers together in this chapter. 
but the two last questions are the ones we're concerned with. What will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? He goes on to talk about false Christs, about wars and rumors of wars, pestilence and famine and what have you, and getting out quickly when it all starts to happen. False Christs, verse 23. Verse 24, false Christs. False prophets are going to appear and even perform great signs and miracles to deceive even the elect, if that were possible. I've told you ahead of time. If anybody says he's here, he's out in the desert, don't go. Verse 26, he's talking about end times now. Okay, um, go look at verse, tw verse 21. For then there will be great distress. That's the word thalipsis. It's the word for, listen, tribulation. Unequaled from the beginning of the world until now and never to be equaled again. That's Jesus from his lips saying, there's going to come a time that's the worst time in human history. Got the picture? That's in verse 21. If those days had not been cut short, verse 22, no one would be would say survive or be saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be shortened. By the way, the elect in the New Testament is always Christians, believers. The chosen is what the elect means. Then false Christs. Okay, verse 29, we get a time marker. Do you see it? When is this, when is he, what's he going to talk about? He's giving the time marker first, verse 29. Immediately what? After the tribulation of those days, the distress of those days. When, what he's about to describe is going to happen when, class? After the tribulation. You got it? Immediately after the, the distress of those days, watch for the key words. The sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from the sky and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. At that time, verse 30, the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky and all the nations of the earth will mourn. They will see the Son of Man coming. Stop. See, visible, charts, see H for himself. You got it? They will see the Son of Man. That's Jesus' title for himself. Coming on the what? Clouds. That's the sea in charts. And the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. He will send his, what's the next key word? Angels, A. With a loud, what? T. Trumpet. Keep in mind, everybody agrees this is the second coming. It's after the tribulation. Everybody agrees. What about the First Thessalonians 4 passage we just read, Joe? Everybody agrees that's the rapture. The question is, it's the same key words again. Okay. When, what's the timing again? After the tribulation. Verse 3, 31. He will send his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his chosen, his elect, gather resurrection from the four winds, from the one end of heaven, of the heavens to the other. In the parallel passage in Mark, he says from one end of the heavens to the other, one end of the earth to the other. He's going to gather all the believers together. Resurrection. When is this again? After the tribulation. Go back to 1 Corinthians 15 with me. 
And I'll show you that Paul sneaks in a time marker in 1 Corinthians 15. Look at 1 Corinthians 15 again. Verse 21, for since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. 1 Corinthians 15, 21. 22, for as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. What's that? Resurrection. Verse 22, but each in his own turn. Christ has to be first. Verse 23, he's the first fruits. Then when he comes, those who belong to him will be what? Raised. Here comes the time marker. That's the rapture. Do you see it? There'll be the resurrection. Watch, look at verse 24. Then comes the seven-year tribulation. Is that what it says? Then will come the end when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father. What happens after the resurrection? Seven-year tribulation. The end. Okay. Now, let's see. Now we want to go to, do we want to go there yet? Um, I think we do. Let's go to Daniel chapter 12, Old Testament. Daniel, one of the minor prophets. Daniel chapter 12. If you can't find it, that's okay. Daniel 12. At that time, Michael, Daniel 12, 1. At that time, Michael, by the way, he's a what? Angel keyword. The, the great prince who protects your people will arise. There will be a time of great distress such as not happened from the beginning of nations until then. What does that sound like? Sounds like Jesus, the great tribulation. You with me? But at that time, your people, everyone whose name is found written in the book, will be delivered. Well, what do you mean, Daniel, by delivered? Verse 2, multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake. Some to everlasting life, others to shame and everlasting contempt. Resurrection. When is this again? At that time. Great tribulation. A, a resurrection. Those who are, rise, uh, are wise will shine like the brightness of the heavens, and those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. Okay. Daniel. Now go back to Thessalonians, but this time we want Second Thessalonians. So go back to the T books. Are you getting tired from turning all these pages? It's a good thing. Finger exercise. So imagine, think with me for a second, because I've got dear sisters and brothers in this room that are pre-tribulation rapture people. Got the picture? You don't have to raise your hand. I saw you. Listen. By the way, this is not an essential doctrine. If you believe in the post-tribulation rapture or the mid-trib or the pre-trib, will you still go to heaven? Of course. Okay, but to me, it's so clear. Before we read uh, 2 Thessalonians 2, let me tell you this. Christianity begins at the, really, around 27 AD, um, but really starts when Jesus rises and Pentecost happens. Would you agree? It's starting before that. Jesus is doing miracles, preaching. People are coming to faith. It starts then. From then until the 1830s, the post-tribulation rapture was virtually unanimous. Scholars, early church fathers, Martin Luther, John Calvin, I could go on and virtually unanimous until 1830s when 
um, a South American guy, um, started teaching pre-tribulation rapture, and a 16-year-old Scottish girl named Margaret MacDonald had a vision. Okay, just parenthesis, 1800 plus years the church believed this. Were they all wrong? Now, 2 Thessalonians. But before we read it, one last thing. If you're pre-trib rapture, what you think is, okay, it could be right. I, this is the one doctrine I hope I'm wrong about. Believe me, I don't want to see Antichrist. He's going to come for the teacher of the Bible study long before he comes for you people, <laughs> right? And you guys on Zoom, he won't be able to find you. He'll know where I am, right? Like he would care about me. Okay, pre-trib rapture position, listen, it's this order. Rapture right? Um, being gathered to him, that's the rapture, the resurrection, we're gathered to Jesus, you with me? That's first. Then seven years later, what? The coming of our Lord. You got the picture? Second Thessalonians 2. Watch how Paul makes a huge mistake, or does he? Concerning the coming of our Lord, Jesus Christ, that's the second coming, and are being gathered to him, that's the rapture. Shouldn't it be the, the order? Shouldn't it be the other way around? We ask you, brothers, not to become easily unsettled or alarmed. See, they think it's already happened by some prophecy report or letter supposed to have come from us saying that the day of the Lord has already come. Don't let anyone deceive you. That day will not come. Wait, what day? The day of the Lord. What day is he talking about? The coming of our Lord and our gathering to him. That day will not come until, do you see that? That means that the coming of the Lord is not imminent, meaning it could happen anytime, tonight. It could, impossible. Watch. That day will not come until, number one, the apostasy, the rebellion occurs. That's a huge falling away of people that seemed like they were Christians who were going to leave the Christian faith behind. That day will not come until that happens. Now, you might say, okay, well, I'm already seeing that in some churches. Okay, maybe. And the man of lawlessness is revealed. That's the Antichrist question. Has he been revealed? Do you know who it is? There's been all kinds of theories. Ronald Wilson Reagan, six letters, six letters, six I heard this in the 80s. He's the Antichrist. Give me a break. Adolf Hitler is the Antichrist. There's been all kinds of theories. Barack Hussein Obama, don't get me started. Okay. Until the man of lawlessness is revealed, the man doomed to destruction. That can't happen until he's revealed. Who is he, Paul? Verse 4, he will oppose and exalt himself over everything that is called God or is worshipped so that he sets himself up in God's temple, proclaiming himself to be God. That's from Daniel 9. That's from... Um, uh, Matthew 24, which I forgot to read you. Okay. Don't you remember that when I was with you, I used to tell you these things, and now you know what's holding him back so that he may be revealed at the proper time. For the secret power of lawlessness is already at work, but the one who now holds it back will continue to do so till he's taken out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will overthrow with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the splendor of his coming. Now he's going to talk about the, we might as well talk about it, tribulation, antichrist. The coming of the lost one will be in accordance with the work of Satan. 
displayed in all kinds of, listen, counterfeit miracles, signs, and wonders. This is a world leader that can do miracles. Summon fire from the sky. That's in Revelation. He can do that? Yes, empowered by Satan. And don't think for a second that the world will be suspicious because they'll go, this is it. He's going to claim to be the Messiah. He's going to have, Revelation 13, a fake resurrection. Okay. Um, and every sort of evil, verse 10, that deceives those who are perishing. They perish because they refuse to love the truth and to be saved. For this reason, God sends them a powerful delusion so that they'll believe the lie. Keep your finger where you are and now go a few pages back, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. I hope it's chapter 1. <laughs> no, it's chapter, it's 2 Thessalonians, my bad. It's my first day. I'll get it together, don't worry. Um, verse, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 5. All this is evidence that God's judgment is right, and as a result, you will be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are suffering. God is just. He will pay back trouble to those who persecute or trouble you. And he will give relief to you who are troubled and to us as well. When, Paul, when will we get relief? Answer, if you're pre-trib rapture, it's at the rapture, before the tribulation. Watch this. When will we get relief? This will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed, visible himself from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels. Oh, he's going to show up. What's he going to do? He'll punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. They'll be punished with everlasting destruction, shut off from the presence of God on the day he comes to be glorified in his holy people. Before the tribulation, during the tribulation, or after the tribulation is the question. That's when we get relief, when he comes and punishes sin. Pre-tribulation rapture people will admit, if they're honest, he's just coming for the church. He's not going to punish sin yet. That happens at the second coming, when he comes in blazing glory, um, visibly. Okay. Uh, we already talked about those two um, and that one. Now here comes the icing on the cake. Go to Revelation 20. I'm trying to do this quickly because I don't want to spend that much time on this. Not that important. I actually subscribe to the pan theory. Do you know what the pan theory is? It's all going to pan out the way God wants it to. Okay. Chapter 20. Before we read Revelation 20, just a few verses. Listen. If you're a preacher of rapture person, be honest. When is the first resurrection? Right before the tribulation starts, right? That's the first resurrection before the tribulation, before Antichrist, before the seven years. Revelation chapter 20. Mm -hmm. Okay, and I saw an angel coming down out of heaven, having the key to the abyss and holding in his hand a great chain. He sees the dragon. Who's that? That ancient serpent. Who's that? The devil or Satan. And he bound him for a thousand years. He threw him in the abyss, locked and sealed it over him to keep him from deceiving the nations anymore until the thousand years were ended. That's the millennium where Jesus reigns on the earth after the second coming. Okay. 
After that, he'll be set free for a short time. Verse 4, listen carefully. Are you still awake? Say, Amen. Amen. Okay, good. I love it. Verse 4, I saw thrones on which were seated those who had been given authority to judge. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony for Jesus, martyrs, and because of the word of God. Tell us more about these people, John. They had not worshipped the beast or his image or received his mark on their foreheads or their hands. Pause. When does all that happen, the beast and the mark? During the tribulation, the second half, right? Revelation 13. These people died. They didn't take his mark. They didn't worship the beast. They held their faith strongly and died for their faith. Okay. Um, they hadn't worshipped the beast or his image, hadn't received his mark on their foreheads or hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ a thousand years. Resurrection. The rest of the dead didn't come to life until the thousand years are ended. I'm still in verse 5. This is the second resurrection. This is the first resurrection. Could there be a resurrection before the first resurrection? No, then it wouldn't be the first resurrection. When's the first resurrection? When's the rapture? After Antichrist has showed up and these people died and everything, that's when they come to life. Blessed and, uh, and holy, verse 6, are those who have take part in the first resurrection. The second death has no power over them. Okay, we could go on and talk about the seven trumpets. Um, but let's go to Acts and then John, and then we'll wrap it up. And then we'll move on, not wrap it up. Go to Acts, if you will. That's the uh, fifth book of the New Testament. Acts chapter one. Just want you to see one quick thing. Acts chapter one is the ascension of Jesus. And they watch his disciples and others watch him go up to heaven. You with me so far? Mm -hmm. Acts chapter one, verse Jesus speaks, and then in verse 9, after he had said this, he was taken up before their eyes. And a cloud, that's interesting, a cloud hid him from their sight. So he's going up. They were, they were looking intently into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood before them. They're angels, by the way. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus visible himself who has been taken from you into heaven, will come back in the same way you've seen him go. Clouds, angel, visibly. Old Testament says his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives. Now go to John chapter 6. So one book to the left from Acts, easy to find. When is this resurrection? That's the question. John chapter 6. <laughs> verse 39. And this is the will of him who sent me, Jesus talking, that I shall lose none that he's given me, but raise them up seven years before the last day. Do you see that? No, you don't. What does it say? Raise them up. When is he going to raise us up? Resurrection? The last day. Okay. Could there be a day after the last day? No, because then that wasn't the last day, you liar. It was the second last day, right? 
When will Jesus raise um, us up? The last day. Uh, well, go back to that same verse because the very next verse he says it again. Verse 40, my father's will is that everyone who looks to the son and believes in him shall have eternal life and I will raise him up at the, in case we missed it, the last day. End of the tribulation. Now go to John 11, and I'm winging it. I hope I get this right. Um, yeah, John 11. Mm -hmm. And, uh, hmm, now I don't know where it is. Uh, darn. But somewhere in here, he says that he'll raise everyone up on the, on the last day, or, or Martha says it. Oh, there it is. Martha says it in verse 24. Jesus says in 23, your brother will rise again. And Martha says in 24, I know he will rise in the resurrection at the last day. Okay, you're beating a dead horse now, Joe. I know, I know. I'm passionate about this. We did Daniel. Um, yeah, we could do that as well. But I think we're going to go back to 1 Corinthians because most of you are asleep now. Last thing. I just remembered the last thing. In the Bible, God has a pattern. And it happens again and again and again and again. And here it is. Simultaneously. Did you hear that? At the same event, God protects his people and punishes evil. And the same event. And the people are protected right during the judgment. What do you mean, Joe? The flood of Noah. There's eight righteous people on the earth. Get on the boat. I'm going to flood the earth to judge the earth. I'm going to kill everybody because they're so evil. We have to start over. So he raptures out the eight people. No. They're in a boat on the flood, on the water. Can you imagine? And while he's protecting them through it, just like the tribulation, he judges the rest of mankind. Well, that's just one example. Okay. Then we could go to Lot was warned and protected in his move out of the city. God's wrath uh, destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. Believers were spared. Unbelievers judged. Watch. Moses Time Now we're fast forwarding in time, right? God tells Moses, Pharaoh's not letting your people go. Tell Pharaoh there's going to be some heavy duty plagues. No, heavy duty doesn't appear in the Bible, but you know what I mean. And there are, there's unbelievable plagues and they don't hurt the Jews. They're protected. They're right there. The last plague is, God tells Moses, go tell Pharaoh, I'm going to kill the firstborn son in every household except yours, Moses, and all the Jews, if you'll put the blood of the Passover lamb over the door. The angel of death will see that, and I'll protect your people while there's judgment going on all the way around them. What's your point, Joe? In the tribulation, he'll protect us. He'll be with us. Might some people die as martyrs? Yes. But generally, he will protect his people. That's been his pattern all the way along. Okay, then Moses and the people leave uh, Egypt, yes. And they're barely on their way when Pharaoh goes, you know what, I changed my mind. Go kill them all. So the Moses, Moses gets to the Red Sea and he's like, oh no, here they come. 
We got nowhere to go, God. What do you want me to do? Remember? And God says, strike this Red Sea with your staff. The sea will part. The same Red Sea that parts and lets them go through to the other side eventually punishes all those Egyptians. Believers judged at the same event that unbelievers are protected through. Um, Daniel in the lion's den, same thing, protected all the way through. Noah, Noah's Ark, all of that. Okay, now back to 1 Corinthians 15. You say, I don't even remember it now. You've been away so long. I'm sorry. I apologize. Um, let's see. The trumpet will sound. I'm in verse 52. The dead will be raised imperishable. We will be changed. May I say, if you're alive at this time, you're going to hear the trumpet. You mean worldwide? Worldwide. No matter where you are on planet Earth, you will see the Lord. Come on, it's a globe. You can't all be, everyone will see him. Maybe you'll see it on CNN or Fox News or ABC. We interrupt this program to bring you, there's a dude coming in the clouds, right? <laughs> you'll see him. You'll hear the, um, you'll hear the shout. Chuck Missler, you'll love this. Wendy. Chuck Missler said, uh, I love this. I, I can't sell it too hard because it might not be right. But remember when he raised Lazarus, Jesus? Jesus does not say, because there's a bunch of tombs there, right? Come forth. You know why? They might have all come out, right? They have to specify, just Lazarus, come forth. What's your point, Joe? Chuck Missler used to say that he believed that each person will hear their own name. Oh, come on. Does God know? He knows your name. Even if you're dead, yes, my mother will hear Marion Sherino come forth all in a second. That's why I hope I'm at a, at a, a, a graveyard when it happens. Okay. Uh, cemetery. All right. We will all be changed. The perishable will clothe itself with imperishable, new, resurrected bodies, immortal with immortality. When, verse 54, the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. This is Old Testament, by the way. Death has been swallowed up in victory. When will that saying come true, Paul? When the believers are resurrected. Think now. Put on your thinking caps. Remember that in school? Listen. When will the saying come true? Death's been swallowed up in victory. In other words, death has been dealt with. No more death. When? When the believers are resurrected. If it happens before the tribulation, why is there still death occurring during the tribulation? Do you see? It can only happen when he's dealt with the whole tribulation and it's the second coming. Okay. You already sold it too hard, Joe. Now you're overdoing it. Okay, I'm sorry. Verse 55. Now he's almost taunting death like it's a person. Where, O oh death, is your victory? Where, O oh death, is your sting? Now, there's a little asterisk here. For you, as a believer, there's no sting to death. Do you understand that? It's an unbelievable, glorious graduation. Don't fear it. It's going to be awesome. When you die and you start 
floating up and your your relatives are going, I wish she was still here, you'll be going, I don't. <laughs> Seriously, you'll be so, you know, the Evita, you know, the musical has a song, Don't Cry For Me, Argentina. Don't cry for me when I die. I'll be so much happier where I'm going. Okay. The sting of, uh, where, O oh, death, is your victory? Where, O oh, death, is your sting? He's quoting Hosea 13, 14. Um, okay, so what is going on here? Why does death have a victory? Um, and why is sin involved in verse 56? Okay, the answer is, number one, sin brought death to planet Earth. God warned Adam and Eve, the day you eat of it, you'll surely die. They started dying that day. A lot of people believe they died spiritually that day. We won't go into that now. Um, okay, so that's the first thing. There's a connection between sin and death. Romans 6, I believe, says the wages, like you earn it, of sin are what? Is what? Death. You earn it. Each of us. Okay, so there's got to be a payment for sin for this whole death thing to be done. There was on the cross. Well, then why didn't, right after the cross and the resurrection, why didn't he just stop humanity and that's it? Because he wanted the billions that believe in Jesus, you, me, 2,000 years later, to come to Christ. He's waiting because there's still people you know that are unbelievers that are going to wake up and go, oh, I got to get on my knees and receive this Jesus. That's what he's waiting for. Where, O oh, death, is your victory? Where, O oh, death, is your sting? Okay, asterisk. Why? Because for you, there's no sting. But if you're an unbeliever, it's an unbelievable sting. The worst, not a bee sting, not a wasp sting, not a scorpion sting, the worst sting possible. The worst one. But where for believers, there's no victory for death. Death's a graduation. There's no sting. Verse 56, the sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. You say, no, well, now I'm confused. Listen. What do you mean by the law? I mean God's law of what's right and what's wrong, right? Jesus fulfills the law, but each of us are law breakers. Okay, think of the law as an x-ray at the doctor's office. What do you mean? I mean, I'm having these pains in my lungs and I'm having trouble breathing. Did you take the x-rays? Yes, I have them right here. Dr. Johnson, let me just put them up here. Uh, you have tumors, big, huge tumors in your lungs. Harold, I won't make it me. Oh, is that bad? Yes, it's very bad. Terminal. Okay, listen, that's the law. The law reveals our sin. Can the law save you? Technically, yes. If you could keep the whole law and never, ever, ever, ever sin, not even once, you could be saved by keeping the law. Forget it. It's too late now. No one's ever done it except Jesus. So without that, you need a savior. X-rays. Could the x-rays, doctor, if I take them and rub them on my chest, would that do anything? No, they just point to the problem. There's no cure. If you eat the x-rays, you're going to get sick. It's not going to cure you. You need the antidote, the healing 
touch of the Lord Jesus Christ. The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, verse 57, he gives us, that's you, the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Is that awesome? We have the victory. Mankind, let's face it, goes through life and people get jobs and they play sports and they get married and some have children and they have all kinds of things you can do in your life. But the truth is we don't talk about it much, but everybody knows, and you'd be an idiot if you were going around saying it, everyone's going to die. You too, Harold. You too, Margaret. What a downer. Who wants to hang around with that guy? But it's true. We just sort of ignore it and we secretly fear it. It's kind of the unknown. It's not the unknown anymore. Behold, I show you a mystery. God has dealt with the biggest problem on earth, sin, which leads to death. If you can conquer that, because let's face it, if you could cure cancer, that's wonderful. But every single person with cancer that got cured will still die from their last disease or their last injury. There's no exceptions. So you got to deal with death. No one's ever done it until Christ comes along. It took God to deal with undo the curse of the law, the curse of sin, the curse of death. Thanks be to God indeed. How thankful are you? The answer is you owe him, I owe him everything. Because you know what? Before you and I were saved, do you know where we were? We were on death row, awaiting execution, and it was justified. I did something very bad, many very bad things. So did you. We deserved that. It wasn't good. Now it's turned on its head. Now it's a glorious thing. I can live my life. I don't have to worry about that. I have hope for the future. I have faith for today. And I have love for God as a result and love for other people. I can live my days out, whether I have four more days, one more day, or 40 more day, years or days, whatever. Whatever God gives me, it's all a blessing. But death is a win-win, Right? It's awesome. It's a graduation. Okay, now you're bumming us out, Joe. Okay, I'm sorry. Um, next week, we will actually finish chapter 15. There's only one more verse. Just rush through it. No, no, I'm not going to do that. Chapter 16 is about what's valuable. What you have that you're supposed to be a good steward of. Oh, you're talking about money. I am. But I'm also talking about the time you've been given and the people you've been given. We'll look at all three next week. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this beautiful portion of scripture. Almost made it through 15, but we're so thankful, God, that death is not stinging in any way for us, Father. It's a graduation. It's a reunion with those that have gone before us. It is to see you face to face, Father and Lord Jesus. It is the most glorious thing that could ever be. The worst thing has become the best thing. So in the meantime, may we live with that in mind and see things on earth that seem to have so much glory for the dim garbage that most of it is. And yet, Lord, help us to see the people. 
as so valuable and our time so short that we would witness for you, for your kingdom to everybody, because we want to take as many people as we can upward. Thank you, God, that you've done it all. The Savior of the world has come, and we owe him everything. We pray all these things in the mighty name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And whether the second coming, whether the rapture is pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib, whatever trib, we're just thankful that there is a resurrection and that you, Jesus, will be coming to earth and we will see you one way or the other. Glorious. Thank you for this time, Father. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Make sure you say hello to someone you don't know. Very important. And those of you on Zoom, thanks for being here. See you next week. God bless.